0: Base here, the Eagle Joe Wright, executive coach, organizational coach, coaching consultant, keynote speaker, and best-selling author of the runaway hit book, No More Shit Managers, Seven Steps to a Coaching Culture. Welcome to the podcast, Joe.
1: Thank you, Alistair. I'm delighted to be here. Delighted.
0: Your book has been a runaway success and your approach seems very much to be focused around giving managers and leaders the tools to create the right environment and the right culture for coaching. And I think we'd all agree that organisations can do better. What was it that caused you to move into this field in the first place?
1: Oh, it's a a great question. So I'll take you back a number, a number of years. Um, I did my coaching qualification and it was truly, truly life changing. And up until that point, I'd always been a leader or manager who'd used a coaching style more often than not. I mean, there's examples in the book where I didn't use a coaching style and how badly wrong that went. But um, I'd always been, I'd always recognised that coaching was part of the answer and so I went to do my coaching qualification. It was life changing. And I just thought, and I got chatting to my now business partner and I said, you know, this is criminal why coaching is so expensive. Why not everybody gets the opportunity to have a great conversation in an organization. Um, and when I'm when I'm coaching, I feel like I'm sprinkling fairy dust on individuals. Actually, it's so powerful. If it can change somebody's life, we need to get it out. To the world, to be honest, and and the rest is history. We we set up coaching culture um, from from idea actually seven years ago, um, and it's gone from strength to strength. We've had our ups and downs, don't get me wrong, but it, you know, in general, it's gone from strength to strength as more organisations wake up to the fact that actually building a coaching culture is part of the solution. I often say it's the silver bullet. Um, and what that means for us is actually it's about not just bringing in people like myself who can go in and coach with professional accreditations, who have spent a lot of hours coaching, who've really focused on our continuous professional development, but actually it's about how do we give leaders and managers the capability to have better conversations. Um, and if they can adopt a coaching style more of the time, they get to build relationships. They learn to ask great questions. They build trust which ultimately builds high performance. Um, And so I've got, I'm the co-founder of Coaching Culture, but I'm also Joe Wright Speaker and Coach because Coaching Culture is very much digital solutions because if you want to get something out to the world, you can't sprinkle fairy dust on one person at a time. You've got to use technology. So Coaching Culture is very much the digital solutions. And then there's me who's the human solution So I go out, you know, my purpose very much is about inspiring organizations and leaders and managers to think differently, to think that there is another way, that actually this is the way for now and the future. Um, So there's so many organizations who are recognizing that, but there's still others that are a long, long way to go. Somebody asked me only the other day, what percentage of organizations have a coaching culture? And and I was put on the spot a little bit because I thought, oh, I don't, I don't have a, sweep of the whole world of of organizations but it's 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 a small number but it's growing and I think it takes time to change a culture um but there's one there's something that 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 is concerning to me a little bit at the moment which is I'm hearing a lot of organisations are wanting to go on this journey and the pandemic definitely accelerated the need because people were working more remotely, leaders and managers needed to trust more and trust their teams more. But actually, I'm certainly hearing now, I'm calling it a post-pandemic hangover, that actually some organisations are going back to where they were pre-pandemic and forgetting some of the new ways that the pandemic introduced, and um, so there's there's a few little things coming through at the minute, and I'm just trying to understand what's happening out there in the world.
0: Yeah, I'd be interested to know as you learn a little bit more about why you get that snapback because I've seen it as well in in different things. So you start to move to perhaps new ways of working or or, or yeah. a different you know different cultural thing. And then now that, you know, the pandemic is well and truly behind us, really from an economic perspective, there is that snapback with certain organisations. And I I haven't pinpointed why that is either yet.
1: I'm I'm hearing, there's different things I'm hearing. Um, There's obviously been what we've called the great power shift from employer to employee, where employees have definitely recognised, actually, I want to work for an organisation with purpose. I want to work for somebody who cares about me who cares about my well-being, my mental health. And if they you know, genuinely care for me, I'll do a great job. So there's definitely been that. But then I'm also hearing another wave of, you know, even people touching burnout, overwhelm, trying to achieve more and more, which is, you know, which is conflicting in actually what we thought was happening with more and more organisations recognising the need to, you know, employees to harness their personal values as well as whatever the the organisational purpose is. So I need to understand it because I'm hearing, I was hearing more stories of the great power shift, employees really, you know, walking with their feet, really wanting to work for purposeful organisations. And it's only recently I'm hearing more and more stories of, of burnout and overwhelm. So I am going to start to understand that more, because is there a new trend emerging? You know, like you say, the pandemic is is well and truly over from a from a economic perspective. But actually, are we feeling are we feeling the pinch of it now more than a pinch based on what happened in the pandemic and the, you know, the disaster that it was for so many organisations or people playing catch up? I'm I'm really I haven't I haven't quite uncovered it because I'm only just starting to hear it as I get into more and more conversations with more people again. You know, the book is very much about a signpost and and a book of hope. While ever the title's deliberately provocative, and it really is, the book is actually a book about hope, inspiration and practical tools and guidance to show people how it can be done and how you can get results. You don't have to burn people out to get results. You know, those days are gone. You know, you can do, you can get results in a much more meaningful and caring way, but caring, you know, doesn't necessarily mean soft. Caring means caring and being human. That's what, that's what it's about. And I think that's what the book indicates. And, you know, I think where, where I'm hearing more and more people are reaching out to me about the book and going, the very first chapter is about Sarah. And Sarah is a character that is just an introduction to who this book could be targeted. And so many people have come to me and said, I could have been Sarah. I am Sarah. And and so many people have said it. And Sarah is somebody who was, you know, used to be really proud about her role. And then actually she's starting to feel more frustrated with the organization, frustrated with the politics, frustrated with, you know, too many leaders and managers just doing, Things their own way. They're not listening. They're certainly not taking a coach approach, and and even you know leaders being in that same boat and not and starting to feel a bit burnt out, feeling grumpy at home. It's impacting their, their their life at home, and actually, I'm hearing a lot of people coming forward to me since the book has been launched, saying that could be me right now. So there's definitely something going on, and I think do you know what? If if my purpose right now was to get the book out to the world and people to actually read it and take action on the back of it, then that's a job well done because things have to change. We're, you know, we're, we're in such uncertain times in the world. You know, there's a mental health crisis going on and people are just feeling the level of uncertainty and fear. Actually, this has got to be a book of hope and inspiration to, to know that things c- can be different.
0: What's the job market like in the UK at the moment? Because in Australia, it's it's buoyant, yet organisations are pushing people quite hard. So there's a bit of a juxtaposition there of two different things. You 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 wouldn't expect that to be the case. So it's it's relatively easy to get a job still, but but people are getting burnt out in organisations.
1: I think it's quite similar here. Actually, I'm seeing lots and lots of different roles advertised you know, and great roles. Um, but actually, I'm also hearing of that level of burnout. So I think it's quite similar, which, you know, only six months ago, I was doing talks about, you know, the great power shift of actually how people experience the great resignation, the great reevaluation, the great resignation, the great power shift, actually, a real movement because of the pandemic. But I'm not sure if there's another movement happening. And it's, and it's it's going backwards.
0: Yeah, and at a, ma- at a macro level, that power shift did happen, and maybe it still exists. But I have a hypothesis that at a micro level, so the individuals that you're dealing with in the organisation, senior leaders, and and then the management layer, whether they're they're still terrified by what happened during the pandemic. So it's, so it's been, it's gone, but it was really difficult when it happened and there's, there's still a bit of a memory an individual memory and a corporate memory yes. of what happened during the pandemic and I wonder whether that's now shaping attitudes as you know you might just get a slight downturn in the economy or a little bit of naysaying in the media and all of a sudden people start to get worried going is it going to be my job is it going to be somebody else's job and my. The hypothesis I have is maybe that's making people be a little bit blinkered and ignoring the bigger picture and doing things their own way. And you talk about the character Sarah in that first chapter and, you know, she's frustrated because people are just, individual managers and leaders are just doing things and not listening. What what evidence have you started to compile as to why that might be the case?
1: I'm hearing levels of social anxiety. So actually people, the pandemic I think has can't sweep it under the carpet you know somebody said to me yesterday i'm not hearing the pandemic the word pandemic anymore and it's like you might not be hearing that word but actually the i think the impact is long lasting and i think we're going to continue to see the impact of it we might not call it you know i'm calling it the post-pandemic hangover i've made that up but you know i'm i'm seeing and hearing that that you know that actually the pandemic has had deep-rooted challenges for people, whether, that, like you said, whether that's anxiety in the workplace, they're fearful of their roles, are they uncertain what could, it was so difficult through the pandemic, are they going to experience that again, even though it won't be a pandemic, potentially, hopefully. Um, So I think, I think people are absolutely right. I think people have re-evaluated where they are in their lives. Um And actually, Some people lost their jobs, a lot of people lost their jobs. So people are fearful we've got the cost of living crisis in the UK. People need to hold on to their money. We don't know what's going on with our our politics, what's going on with pensions. So people are starting to, I think people are starting to behave differently. And I think the pandemic has, I think if we got to a root cause, the pandemic would be it. I really do. And the level of uncertainty and anxiety it created, people are still feeling that level of anxiety. Um, And I I just, for me, I'm hearing it in people's conversations with me, but also reading it in terms of, you know, I find LinkedIn a fabulous source of content of what people's opinions are of the, you know, the articles that are coming through. And I definitely think there's something happening right now. I certainly don't believe it's all rosy in the garden. You know, thank goodness we're out of the pandemic, let's all celebrate. I actually think there's something deeper. I'm even speaking to people who are therapists who are saying that they've got clients who are really struggling still because of the pandemic. And, and you know, suicides are a, a an all time high mental health crisis, but we don't always see that in the media because it's not wanting to be uh, publicized as much, but actually we're hearing it, you know, when you speak to a number of people. So I think there's a lot going on and I think organizations who are, who are sticking to their guns in a positive way are the ones who are succeeding still, you know, I do case studies in the book of organizations who have turned a corner, you know, who are thinking about their people and they're not just ticking a wellbeing box. They're not just doing, you know, yoga or fresh fruit Fridays. It's not about that. It's actually about cultural strategic intent to make a difference in the workplace. And so they are still there existing but even yesterday I did a poll on LinkedIn how many organizations you know have, who who believes they've got a coaching culture and the numbers they're quite they're quite evenly spread between no we haven't yes we have we're on our way and we're just at the start so i think there's definitely a movement a positive movement towards people thinking more about coaching but equally some organizations if they don't see an overnight result then revert back to type so I definitely think there's still a short term short term view from some organisations.
0: Yeah, that, that that's a worry because I always go back to a sporting analogy that people people play well when they're confident, and if you've got the yes. confidence and the safety and you know the organisations around you, you could spend the time on coaching because it's not a deliver tomorrow thing. It's it's incremental and it's building up capability and it takes time and you don't see immediate results. You could micromanage somebody straight away. And you might get a result tomorrow, you know, and it might and it might be a better result than you were getting today. We all know that's not going to work long term, and eventually people will burn out and and you'll dip down yeah, again. Yeah. But if you feel unsafe in the organisation, if the organisation is not creating an environment where people have more time and more leeway to create capability. I can see why you might ignore that coaching culture as an individual because you'd feel the pressure because people have experienced the job losses of three years ago and they don't want to go back there again as they see these small economic indicators of perhaps a downturn, but you know perhaps overplayed by the media, but it's going to make people unsettled.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. The psychological safety element of organizations is is vital and on so many levels. And I think a coaching culture really unlocks that because you're building a relationship with your leaders and managers, you're building that trust. But I've even had people reach out to me on LinkedIn privately. That's where everybody seems to grab hold of me and in a good way. And and I've had people say, I can't like your posts about your book in case my boss sees me liking it.
0: That's terrible
1: oh my word, they can't even like, you know, that is serious paranoia. Um, yeah, equally on the other side of that coin, I'm actually getting bulk orders for leaders and managers at, at, at different levels. So I've had a, a bulk order this week for um, the most senior team of an organization, the board to read the book. So did a bulk order. And will you sign all these copies, please, Joe? Yes, I will. And then I've got bullcorders for managers going on manager development programs Um, and some people so I already know of some feedback some have gone oh my word this book is great and the bullseye target wasn't leaders and managers it was actually the cultural change decision makers but actually people say no there's examples in here of ship management and there's also fabulous case studies of what you need to be doing differently so it shows people how they need to be better and be different so I'm getting orders for, for books in that way as well. Um, and I've had feedback from some saying, wow, this has been great, really helpful. And then somebody said, who ordered the book said, oh, somebody came to me and said, oh, have you given me this book because you think I'm a ship manager? It's like, read the book and you'll realise why we've all got the book. Because we are, you know, wanting to make those incremental changes and improvements. Um, so I think it was a bold and brave move for the title of the book, I felt the books about building a coaching culture were inherently boring, <laughs> boring business books, textbooky, overly academic, whereas actually this book is deliberately so by the title, but it's grounded in real life experience. It's grounded in case studies for every toe curling story in the book. There's a heartwarming case study and practical exercises and the workbook to help people, to guide them through step by step. So it's deliberately practical, easy to read, fun to read, as well as informative and knowledgeable. And at all of those, I deliberately set out the intention to do something a little bit different, to grab the attention, to make a change, because if we are wanting organisations To really start to build a coaching culture. My definition of a coaching culture is a place where leaders and managers help, authentic leaders and managers help people to grow, thrive and perform through effective conversations, honest feedback underpinned by trust. If we wanted to promote that organisation, we need to get this out into the hands of many people, not just a select few.
0: Because you've been in the coaching game for for many years, you know, and possibly at the beginning of the curve, because we see lots of people in the coaching game now. But, you know, you you got your qualification and set up your business a long time ago. So you've seen a lot within many organizations that you've worked with, you know, good, bad, and organizations that have grown and changed. At what point did you start to feel this book bubbling up inside you?
1: Uh we at Coaching Culture, we did a framework, the seven-step framework we designed. And it was a, you know, a free framework, download this ebook, grab it, just have a look. And we got such great feedback and organisations we were working with started to use the framework as their Coaching Culture strategic blueprint, which was fantastic. And and then my business partner was like, oh, we could really do with writing a book. And when he said we... He meant you, Joe. So, um, so I didn't know how to write a book. You know, when somebody says we need to write a book, it's like, well, how do you write a book? I read loads of books, but how do I actually go about starting it? How do I go about structuring it? And I went to my first ever book launch of a friend, and in there, there I met his book coach, who was brilliant. And that word again, the coach. And I, I learned how to write a book by by absolutely accessing a brilliant book coach. And when I say the word coach, it was coaching, but it was also teaching and training. And it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And I just had to then commit the time to get my thoughts down on paper. And it's kind of spoiled every business book for me now because there is a structure, there is a framework on how to do it. It's paint by numbers. So I'm definitely of the firm belief anybody can write a book if you're prepared to commit the time the thought, and you've got an idea bubbling away, and then you just need to get it down on paper and put it into a structured format. Um, And I'm really delighted that I've written a book because I feel that I've got something now that, you know, is a bit of a legacy really. Um, And I I say to people jokingly that, you know, on my gravestone one day it'll say, you know, oh, didn't she do well? Or she died trying, <laughs> which is about trying to get organisations to think differently, to build a coaching culture. You know, I want in X number of years' time to look back and go, we've changed the world of work forever here. We've changed the world of work and we've been a small part of that.
0: How long did it take to write the book?
1: Oh, do you know what? So many people ask me that. It's a, it's a great question. From at meeting the book coach to actually getting the book in my hand, it was 18 months, but that was not 18 months of out and out learning and writing. Um, I started the writing end of May. I'm getting confused with my years now, end of May, 2022. And then I got quite, I I actually had three or four months where I just got writers block. Um, there was a lot going on in my personal life. My father-in-law passed away. My uncle, who'd lived with us all throughout my life, he was my mum's twin brother, passed away. Um, my husband was having a major knee operation, and it was all happening at the same time. And there was nothing coming out of my of my brain into creative thinking. You know, I, I, my brain was in some level of fight or flight. I think at the time. Um, and then, so I picked up the book again. So there was probably about a good four or five months where that was a real struggle. So I picked up the book again, January last year, and I'd finished it, the first draft by the end of March. So actually when it was focused time, I really managed to to get my my thoughts. When I was feeling creative and in the flow, the editing process for for me was death by a thousand cuts. That was hard. To in and fro in, too in and fro in, this word, that word, this, you know. So what you do first is you just get it all down. You just go, blah, there you go. There's there's a book. I've just written 44,000 words now. What do we do with them? The editing was really hard work. I didn't like that. I did not like we were even editing it till about six weeks before I got the physical print in, in my hand. And even, even and I thought I I perfected it and i've done it in audible this month of january um it'll be launching in february on audible
0: and you've narrated um, it.
1: And I fa- i've narrated Fantastic. it and i'll tell you i'll tell you for why i narrated it but i found a mistake when i narrated it i'm like oh that was one of the mistakes that i thought we'd edit it out and there it is in print staring me in my face as i'm reading it out loud um So I narrated it because when I listen to audible books, if I'm out running or walking, I like to hear the author read it. I like to feel that connection. I like to realise this person's a human being behind the book. Um, So I, you know, with my Northern England dulcet tones, I decided to read the book out loud. And I really enjoyed it. It was real fun, apart from when, like, things like... You know, if my stomach started rumbling, and that was all caught on the audio. It's like, oh, what was going on there, Joe? Oh, so are, are you're like it. fully
0: sound boothed up, and it picks yes. up everything.
1: Oh, everything! I um, I was really debating on how to do it, and and actually, I researched a few different places. I could have done it myself here in my home, but I'm not fully soundproofed. And people said, oh yeah, you'd need to do, you know surround yourself with cushions and quilts and I thought well, I don't want to do that that feels a bit potcher and scarper really so I actually researched and I went and recorded in the sound booth of according to them one of the oldest independent family-owned music shops in the world so it's a music shop where people are going to have music lessons, but they also have a recording studio. So I was in one mini studio. So as you see people, if they're recording music, it was like that. And I had a sound engineer in the room next to me, talking to me through my earphones, going, oh, can we just do that bit again? Or, you know, go. And he literally sat with me, but in another room and listened to every step of the way of the book. And then then said to me, my wife's organisation could, uh, could do with this book. And I, so I gave, I gave the sound engineer a, a copy of the book and, and signed it for his wife because he said that, he said her manager was making her unhappy at the moment. And he was like, they need this book. And I was like, yep, they do.
0: Helping people everywhere <laughs> so you they, go.
1: Oh, just scattering them. So I used to sprinkle fairy dust with coaching and now I'm just sort of scattering the book around
0: did um how how many hours recording was it to get that book right when you were doing it?
1: Uh, <laughs> how many hours recording? Not many um about eight about eight, but the book will then end up being about three to four hours of audio but by the time we've kind of squashed it all together and and and, and got rid of any tummy rumbles. Um, I think it'll go from eight to three, three to four, I think is a, a typical business book. Um, and you know what? I really enjoyed it. That that felt like quite an achievement this month of January, where I, I'm literally opportunities are coming my way. I feel like at the moment, Alistair, I feel like I've got, I keep describing it as butterflies all over, all around me. And I just need to harness a few of them and bring them into a net and just focus on two or three fabulous butterflies. Whereas at the minute, I've got so much because I took a step to the side of coaching culture to focus on the book at the end of last year, to launch the book, let my business partner focus on the day-to-day running of the business, the operation, the digital, the technology, and let me go and focus on launching the book out to the world, speaking to to many people. Um, I suppose putting the human behind the book out there more, you know, one of my guilty pleasures is podcasting, is speaking to people, is coaching people. Um, so I'm just trying to think, how can how can I absolutely out and out just focus on getting the story and the message out there, like what we're doing today, really? Because the more people who hear it, the more people who, you know, pick up the book and start to think, actually, this is doable. This is absolutely doable. You know, so like I said before, there's a lot of books out there. They're a little bit boring, Um, and you've got to really trundle your way through them I think you know and then there's self-help books for individuals I think my book connects the two worlds of self-help as for an individual as well as cultural change it connects the two and makes it real and doable and fun and engaging
0: And there's undoubtedly those lessons in the book. And I think when we have these conversations, there's lessons in the journey as well, because you talk about all the butterflies everywhere and and grabbing onto one or two of them. But there's a a lesson that if you do something different and you put yourself out there, then sometimes these unexpected opportunities come to you. Um, Just going back to the eight hours one, and, and sometimes the weirdest details fascinate me. So talking for eight hours, you know, over how many days was that? And how did your voice hold up? Because sometimes, even in a, an hour's meeting, my voice can become a bit clicky. You know, if I don't if I don't drink enough, and I get this little click at the right right side of my mouth. Well, you can't have that if you're recording a book.
1: That's true. I have no idea what it's going to sound like. I'm trusting the sound engineer to uh, to, to look after that. Um, So what we did was it was across three separate occasions. I'd taken advice from a friend who was an author and said he did it in a day and a half and regretted it. So I chose three separate mornings to do this. I'm at my best in the morning. Um, uh, So I thought, let's do that. Um, And we would do certain parts of the book and then stop. And then obviously I'd take some drinks. But it was really interesting. On day two, my voice the sound engineer picked up straight away when I was kind of speaking out that the first chapter I was doing that day, that my voice was a lower tone than the, mo- the day before. So I'd had quite a lot of energy the day before. I was like, whoa, whoa, you know, I was really on, really passionate. The day after I was a little bit lower and he picked it up because obviously his graphic equaliser or whatever he, whatever machinery he was playing with picked this up. So I had to go back and um, when my voice had warmed up and do that again. So that was quite interesting. Um, And I'll tell you what also was quite interesting. Speaking out the words is actually harder than reading them. And there were some words that I make up deliberately because I think it sounds quite funny at times, like initiativitis. Writing that is sometimes a challenge, but actually saying it, initiativitis, and then there was words that I'd miss out I'd miss a letter off the end because you have to articulate your words so much more clearly, carefully for people to listen. So I was relying on the sound engineer and he picked up, so we did a a, a very final editing bit at the end and he was like, right, we need to go over that, that sentence again. I was like, why, what was wrong with that sentence? And I would say a word, I'd miss out a letter. And it's like, how did I even do that? Um, or what I did to start off with, <laughs> Well, sometimes I'd read a sentence and I'd make up a word. I'd make up a word. I wasn't even reading. I'd read 95% of the sentence, then I'd like make up another word and pop it in there. And it's like, where did it, how did I do that? So I got into realizing how to co- sort my own mistakes out and then got into the groove. So he picked up the sound differences, the intonation differences. Um, but in general, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the experience of it. I, I'm dreading, because obviously it's currently now sat with the sound engineer, I'm dreading having to listen to it back because what I'm going to have to do is get the book out and read and listen at the same time. So that's double, double bubble trouble of Joe Wright in my own voice and in my own head. Um, so while ever it's always difficult to watch yourself back on things, it's equally difficult to listen to yourself as well. You probably uh, think you're good listening
0: good. to the Queen when you listen back with all that intonation and all that proper pronunciation.
1: <laughs> I- I very much doubt I think I'm listening to the Queen. Probably somebody from the northwest of England, from Coronation Street, more like. <laughs> Definitely not got the Queen's voice or accents.
0: It'd be interesting how the audiobook goes down overseas, you know, because obviously it is a runaway success, and LinkedIn's a fantastic platform because you do get globally connected. So people are going to you know, they're going to get the book and read it, and they're going to get the audio version and listen to it while they're out walking and running. And undoubtedly, a high proportion of them are going to be in America, Australia, you know, other non English yeah. speaking areas. And you don't get too many Northwest accents on runaway hit business books.
1: Oh well, maybe mine will be another one that isn't a runaway success then with the, the Northwest accent, but. I just thought I've got to read it out myself. You definitely I didn't do. Get some. Yeah, I did. I, you know, one of my key values is authenticity, and it would have just felt so inauthentic to get somebody else to read my book, my story, you know, and my passion. So the intonation in the book is me. So yes, the northwest reading is is uh, it could be interesting. I could get some uh, people in. Further further afield thinking, what is she even saying? <laughs> but do you know what? I've already sold um, some books in Australia, in America, Canada, Japan. Japan was the first place I actually got a message from within week one of launch, which is quite interesting. Um, so it'll, it's quite interesting to see, you know, and hear the impact that it will have. And I really do hope the Audible... Um, it's just another route for for people to access the content and at some point I'm sure I'm gonna to have to update the book but for now I'm letting the dust settle you know I'm wondering how do I get it out to the world um because it's so important and I want to I want it to to jump up jump off the um I suppose the virtual bookshelves I've not got it into bookshops yet and actually I've investigated that because i thought that would be a great route into certain book shelves but also i've watched videos implying that's not always the best route actually and just you know having it online is a great way to get the book out there more people are buying the books online but i just imagine seeing it at airports you know when people are browsing the bookshops at airports it's one of those with such a cheeky title that people go oh yeah i could read that on holiday um but for now I'm 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 in the online bookstores. Um so yeah.
0: I imagine your margin's better on from from an online bookstore in terms of what you're actually making.
1: Well it's not it's not great actually. When people come to me direct, it's it's better then because we you know we both win. You know, we 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 both can win. Um but yeah, it's it's not it's not great. Everybody has to, always told me you're going to have to sell a lot of books. But my view is, it's about getting the message out to the world. If I sell a lot of books on the back of it, great, that'll be wonderful but actually for me it's it's about let's get the message out there let's get change happening let's make it accessible to people let you know let's inspire people to realize it can be done and there are great organizations and examples where it is happening and while ever we started our conversation with the doom and gloom a little bit out there in the world there are still some fantastic examples of organizations who are making a difference and they're often quite purposeful and they know that coaching is the answer. And, I've, you know, there's a fabulous case study at the end of the book where the organisation already had a good culture. They had a good culture, but they knew to take it to great. Coaching and feedback had to be part of that solution. So it is also an example of good to great um, and also examples of actually, you know, no, we can do better than this. And this is often happening out there now. Let's get more leaders and managers just having the capability and confidence and to stop getting rid of these myths that managers and leaders have got to know it all because they just don't. They've got to know how to get the answers and where to get the answers. They don't have to have all the answers themselves. And I think that's one of the myths that, you know, I want to bust out there, give managers and leaders permission to ask great questions and empower others.
0: So to someone that hasn't worked within a coaching culture, how would you describe in in really simple terms what that might look and feel like to them when it's right and, and why they should be interested in it?
1: Well, back to my definition, authentic leaders and managers helping people to grow, thrive and perform. It's where, it's about great conversations. It's about where feedback is given and received, expected and respected. So people don't go, oh, I'm gonna get some feedback. Actually, I want feedback, I'm asking for feedback. Leaders and managers taking the time to get to know their people, build relationships. It's not a blame culture. It's not toxic. It's accountable. It's It may be challenging in parts, but it's also very supportive. It's caring. It's empathetic. And it's got high performance. There's a growth mindset in the organization where people are being developed, developing themselves. And it's a can-do attitude rather than a blame culture. And I think I've experienced organisations. I've I've worked in organisations that are great and I've worked with organisations that are great and you know the difference. And actually when you're in it, you may not recognise you're in it as much because you're spoiled. You are spoiled because you're in such a great culture. You know you're not in a great culture when you step out of that and experience the opposite. And I've worked within organisations where I've experienced the not great culture. And I'm working with organisations who also don't have a great culture. And I think the, the most senior leadership teams have a huge role to play. And they have got to recognise it themselves. You know, they set the tone. But I also say to people, just, you don't have to wait for permission from your most from your board members or your most senior leadership teams to go and have great conversations with your team. So don't wait for permission. Don't wait for to go on the most expensive of training courses. Go and learn yourselves how to be better. We've got the internet at our fingertips. We can learn ourselves right now how to build up and develop coaching skills. So um, yeah, I think it is clear. I, I quote in the book, it feels like hell on earth when you are not in somewhere that is that supportive environment, um, and and that's where that's where burnout levels are happening. That's where people are leaving. That's where people have greater absentee absenteeism. So I think the metrics in an organization and the data is all out there. It's it's out there. People will leave eventually, whether that's because they're they're forced to leave in their own health and well being or they choose to leave and so organizations have got to start doing something this for me a coaching culture is a fantastic foundation that takes time to build and back to initiative outers don't just think that putting a few people on a training course is that's it job done tick box coaching culture achieved because that's not the answer it's a slow burn but it's worth it when you get there
0: and as a, say, a senior leader or an executive in an organization, they, they need to, and you talked about setting the tone from the top, they need to identify a gap between where they are today and where they want to be in terms of a coaching yes. culture, and and then they can start to lead it and make it happen. And sometimes that's really hard for execs and senior leaders to recognize that gap, either because the data is not there, they don't have the foresight, or, or they've got some own their own blockers around it because they refuse to see it. And as you were talking, I was thinking about some of the indicators that might exist in an organization that didn't have a coaching culture. And I was wondering if you've seen any patterns or repeated indicators that you would you would kind of shine a light on and say, hey, because you're doing this, that's a good indicator that you might not have a coaching culture. And the one that sprung to my mind was recruitment. So you get a vacancy and you need to recruit for a role. Yeah. and if the default is always that you go to market because you don't think the capability exists internally, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, could that be an indicator that you've got a bit of a closed mindset around coaching? Because really the talent exists within your organization. It definitely does. You just got to be patient and grow it. And, you know, could that be an indicator, but are there other ones that you've seen?
1: Oh, wow. That is a great, great question. I think, um, People leaving your organisation is, so you talked about recruitment. The other mm-hmm. side of the, you know, the kind of employee life cycle, people walking with their feet, people will, um, if you haven't got a coaching culture. Um, people aren't feeling developed. People are staying in roles for a long time because nobody's moving. Um, I think that's a key one. When actually, you know, there's there could even be low attrition. So people aren't leaving because they're just stuck they're stuck in that organization at the time. Nobody's moving. Um, I think there's there's so many different indicators. But I think I think people leaving is is the scary one, is the scary one, you know, obviously. But also back to your point on recruitment, you know. I think we do need to bring new talent and fresh, fresh talent. in. we do need to keep things fresh, but you are right. There is absolutely talent who you can grow in the organisation. And I think it's about choosing the strategy of, you know, are you going to bring in new people? Are you going to build a talent you've got? Are you going to bring in external people at the right time? So what is your strategy at, for which roles at which point in time? Um, I think there's lots of indicators, but equally, I think fresh, you know, actually people may leave, but they may be leaving because actually you have had a coaching culture and you have developed them brilliantly and they leave and that's fine. That's, you know, that's a positive exit when people leave to explore new opportunities because you can't provide them anymore in in your organization, but they go somewhere, either somewhere else or they set up on their own. So I don't always see exit as a, as a bad thing but actually it depends on the reasons why people are leaving. I agree um, with
0: that 100% that exit because <clears throat> the thing that frustrates me the most is when people feel stuck and I've been on town hall calls that where yeah. people you know who have the confidence to speak up have said I'm not going anywhere until my boss dies. You know and they've said it slightly tongue in cheek but but they said it and yeah. and to a certain extent in terms of promotion in role it's true because because the organization has what it needs and unless that role opens up because somebody moves on they're not getting promoted but that doesn't mean they can't grow so i really want people to look at opportunities for growth and if that means they leave i've always been 100 percent okay with that i worked for an organization halifax bank of scotland around between 2002 and 2007 and i think that was the best cultural organization that i've ever been in yep. and um Heather cuts Heather Jackson she's also known as launched a, a program across about 5000 people called unleashing potential and it and there was a number of things in there coaching feedback yeah. that was definitely a significant part and the one message that she said is some people will be so liberated by this you're going to leave and that's okay because if you're that's on fire while you're here I don't I want you to leave I want you to to realize all your ambitions because when they walk out the door they go wasn't HPOS a fantastic place? You know, at the stage absolutely. of your career, get a job there straight away.
1: I absolutely know the organisations that I've worked in that were at, that I felt only in hindsight, only when you look back and you realise you were spoiled, spoiled in such a fabulous culture um, and for the certain, you know, all the things we've talked about and that was a number of years ago. Um, so, yeah, totally, I think people who are ready to go you know, for the right reasons, wish them well, because you can't keep people, you know, and trap them against the will. I think something's interesting that, that I point out in the book as well about, obviously, we all know that many people are promoted because they're great at their technical job. And then they get promoted to a management role or a leadership role. And actually, they've not, you know, either they, that's the only route for them. And actually, Promoting a breadth of opportunities in organisations is far more valuable a skill set than just going people, you know, we've got to get rid of this myth that the only way you can progress is going up a ladder, which means instantly getting those management skills. And, And you may be given that role and you're not given the skills or development, or you may have zero desire just because you've been great technically. You may be better actually exploring new opportunities in different functions of the business to get a real breadth. And I, I find that one of the things that I feel blessed to have in my career that actually, you know, I've kind of ended up in the HR space, but at my role started out in operations. Then I moved into marketing. Then I moved into sales for many years. Then I moved into change management. Then I moved into leadership and management development. All the while coaching was the red thread without me fully realizing it to start with. It was only till I did my change program that I realized that coaching was indeed um the way people did actually change rather than just telling people to change and expecting people to. So I think I I feel very blessed, but I've also made it happen myself, the breadth of opportunity. And then I realized that I I was nervous about the word digital. You know, a number of years ago, digital to me was me being on Facebook. <laughs> so I went. So I joined an organisation that was all about e-commerce because I wanted to understand what was this thing called digital. Cracky, I do sound a dinosaur, don't I? But actually, you know, it was I needed to understand what was what was it. So I actually knew where my personal gap in knowledge was. Now I didn't go and suddenly become a coder or a you know somebody who was cr- creating the the scripts for code or e-commerce but I started to understand what it all meant and then that l- led me on to then work with my business partner who's a, the tech guru in our business um, and actually I know again a lot more about digital and software um, so it's fascinating so I've purposely had a broad career and all the while been going up up and up but it's been the breadth that has given me that opportunity um and other people have different careers. They go literally up the ladder, up the ladder, up the ladder and stay in the same function. But I think there's there's something to be said for for breadth. Um and and going where your strengths are and your passions. You know, like I said to you before about the butterflies over my head at the minute, I'm sat here thinking, you know, I'm my next chapter of my career. I look at things in chapters rather than oh, new year, new me. It's like, what's the next chapter? The next chapter for me is a chapter of seven years in my head. Um, And the next chapter, I'm going to make the best chapter. I've decided I'm I'm intentionally going to do work that fills me with joy, with people who fill me with joy, um, and live my life that is intentionally joyful. Because life can throw you some curveballs, but I don't have to, you know, I absolutely... I'm going to be focusing on joy, which is focusing on my strengths and my passions. And that's where I need to harness my butterflies and think, right, what are the two or three things? You know, And one of the things I'm bubbling with at the moment is working on something in my head about purposeful coaching for homelessness. There's something bubbling away in my heart. How can we put these superpowers to really good, you know, to actually do something beyond building a coaching culture. Obviously, I want organisations to build a coaching culture, but actually, what can I also do that's another level? Um, So there's lots of there's lots of things going on at the minute, and you know, my own career is is no different from anybody else's in terms of you know making those opportunities happen.
0: You, you can tell through the conversation how passionate you are about coaching and the fact that it can take someone from a current position to you know an unimaginable much better place in the future and are there any particular reasons that you're fueled and you're so passionate about this subject
1: sorry sorry alistair could you just say that i didn't hear you there
0: yeah sorry we sometimes we get a bit of internet problem so the passion that you've got what fuels that passion
1: oh I think the fact I did a coaching qualification that felt life changing. I think, and the moment that I felt that it all happened is in the book. Um, I feel that I'd been walking around with, I call it a, a rucksack full of boulder sized limiting beliefs on my back. And I didn't know they were there. They were obviously subconscious beliefs. And my coaching qualification, pretty much threw them all out on the floor and allowed me to stamp all over them. And and I'm so passionate that actually something, it's the only thing that I've ever found that has been truly life-changing. And it's been life-changing from an absolute understanding our own self, self self-awareness, what beliefs are holding us back, what are empowering beliefs, and, and, and actually identify those limiting beliefs and doing something about them. And that's, so now where I had all these limits and beliefs, where I used to think, well, I can't do this, I can't do that, I won't be good. Now I just think, back to the butterflies, now I think, well, I could do whatever I want. I just need to figure out how, and who do I need to speak to, and what do I need to learn? And and so I think that's why I'm really, really passionate, um, to make a difference, um, and make my own little mark on the world, really. You know, one of the questions I got asked a number of years ago, what do you want your legacy to be? And I'd never even thought about my legacy. I, you know, I was just working and living day to day of what's what's the role I'm doing was actually back to what do I want? You know, on the gravestone or at the eulogy, actually, I want to have made some difference. And I think in some small way, the book is already going to be part of that because I can get that out further. The coaching culture business is part of that because we're getting technology out to all corners of the globe where people are having the opportunity to self-coach through our solutions. Leaders and managers have got access to tools that allow them to um, learn how to coach, and organisations have been able to put, you know, affordable solutions in place to help them build a coaching culture. So, in some small way, I'm making, you know, a level of a difference. I'm just trying to think how do I amplify that before before I get too old. <laughs>
0: I think the, the the thing you mentioned there about coaching culture as an organization and the digital first element as yes. uh, that really, that really helps organizations whose pockets might not be as deep as others to access the right tools. So, you know, depending on your, your price point, your motivation, the amount of time you got available, you know, you can get Joe one-to-one, but you can get all of that expertise distilled down into something that you can self-serve on.
1: Absolutely. And, and that's why we set it up to get it out to the masses. You know, our first solution was called, is, is still there called Mindset. And it's a self-coaching tool and it covers off topics such as imposter syndrome. People are self-coaching on topics that I would cover off in coaching conversations on a one-to-one. And this can go to everybody in the organisation. So, you know, from your graduate entry-level roles right to the very top of the business. So, it's, it's about affordability, scalability, to give people the opportunity to think differently. Now, the purpose of coaching culture is we exist to make work better, whereas my personal purpose, and I've got it on my wall up there, is to inspire as many people as possible to think differently through the power of coaching, whether that's technical and digital, or whether that's through face-to-face human conversations. For me, it's about people to stop, think differently, Reflect, have those light bulb moments. Stop just going forward, stumbling day by day without actually stopping and thinking through what could be holding you back. So, yeah, Coaching Culture, you know, has got some fantastic organisations. We've got, you know, small, medium, large size organisation, global entities. Yeah, but it doesn't have to cost a lot. It's an annual subscription to get access to great content. And also, the, we've also got we've got content. We've also got a platform a conversations platform to capture your conversations as a leader and manager and to then pass out content to your team that you think they may need in their development conversations, you know, and I'm not going to sit here and say about some of the names of organisations, but we've got some fabulous organisations on there that are really starting to recognise this is the thing that's going to make the difference. And the thing that makes me the most proud is actually that they resubscribe every year. So we've we've only been going seven years from concept, but our first product was made available literally 18 months later. We've got people now who are in either year four or five of their subscription with us because they can see the need and new people come in, more people need that access to the s- solutions and the tools. It makes me very, very proud. And like I said, I've left the day-to-day running to my business partner because he's the, what I call him, the wizard behind the curtain, whereas I'm definitely more out in front of the curtain with my... With my soapbox and my loud hailer. Um, I think it's very because much. I'm the one who... yeah. Sorry,
0: Alistair. No, no, I was going to say, I think it's very much um, money well spent because a lot of organizations try and build these coaching cultures themselves from scratch. And with the amount of, you know, people hours that you put against something like that, it can cost a fortune. Whereas if the expertise is already out there, I wanted to go back to the coaching qualification. There's there's, there's lots of people coaching now, you know, you were at the beginning of the curve and, in, you know, there's a lot more people entered that market now. And some of them are qualified and, you know, have a qualification and, a, and an accreditation and some don't. And some are going to be good in both, good and bad in both camps. Um you doing it and i think it's an icf qualification you've got
1: it is yeah
0: that allowed you to unpack yourself almost so to aspiring professional coaches that might be listening and there's, you know there's people kind of sick of corporate life and they've perhaps got the Yay. talent and the skill and and yeah. they've shown that they're able to coach and they're thinking of moving into the same field as yourself how important was that qualification and what 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 did it give and why did it how how did it allow you to unpack yourself almost during that training
1: Really interesting. So I wanted to do a qualification to formalise what I knew was 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 the answer. Really, I wanted to have that credibility. I wanted to understand what a coaching qualification could give to myself. But when I when I started doing the qualification, I rang up the organisation who I was going, who I'd chosen to do it with, and I said, "Could this help me set up on, on my own?" And they were like, "Well, there's a lot more to setting up on your own than just a qualification." I wanted a professional qualification. Sorry, a professional accreditation and an academic qualification. I wanted the two together. It had to be, it couldn't be all academic for me. It needed to be grounded in practical um, application. And that's why I came up with the qualification I did. So I got the postgraduate certificate in business and personal coaching through the ICF, as well as the university in the north of England. So I wanted the both. And... I thought I was going to be able to become a coach on the back of it, which you can, you absolutely do. But the fundamental life-changing self-awareness raising that happened along the way, I think, shocked me. You, you don't realize how unself-aware you are until you experience something like that. Um, I, I found it invaluable, and also it shows your commitment to the pr- profession. You know, I often, I, I um, often talk about. I created a sort of capability triangle with the very top of the tree is the professionally accredited coaches. But under that, there could be the internal coaches who may have accreditation to a certain level. Then there's leaders and managers who may not have accreditations, but they've got coaching capability. Then there's peer-to-peer coaching and then there's self-coaching. And I, I call it a big triangle. And I often say liken coaching to cooking. I was like, you don't, You don't all need to be a professional chef, but you all need to know how to cook. And to me, coaching is the same. You only need to say, you only need to call yourself a professional coach if you have got those accreditations. Um, But a leader and manager with some level of coaching capability doesn't need all the stripes on their shoulder because they're not going out there selling their services as a professional accredited coach. I found it really important if you want to go and charge for your services to have. You know, qualifications and accreditations because it shows your seriousness of, you know, and how important it is that, you know, you're serious and you're also signing up to a code of ethics. You're signing up to this is how I will be, you know, this is who I stand by uh, and I believe in. And so I think it, I think that's important. You know, I do know of people who call themselves coaches and they've got, you know, life experience um, and, and, and they're doing very well as coaches as well. So there's there's lots of talk in the coaching profession about, you know, does it need regulating, et cetera, et cetera. Because absolutely, you know, anybody can call themselves a coach. Um, I just think, you know, if you're calling yourself a coach or certainly if you're calling yourself a professionally accredited coach, you certainly need your professional accreditations. And what's and, impressed
0: and actually, me is I was aware of that of ICF. But the fact that you're yeah. saying, you know, you were already a good coach and you put yourself through the qualification and it shone a light on yourself, that that's made me more interested now in going, there's something in that, you know, that particular oh. training and what it gave you.
1: Oh, it was phenomenal. Um, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget the moment the penny dropped. Again, I write that in the book. I was um uh so it's really interesting on my coaching qualification you get coached by your fellow trainees you're all practicing your coaching you know skills you're all you know trying to train your coaching muscles as it were um but i and you do lots of different types of coaching you do lots of different exercises you practice so much and it's fabulous many of my other colleagues and delegates on the course took lots of different topics. So some of them were like, you know, coach me on whether I should get a motorbike, coach me on whether I should do this. Whereas I had one topic and one topic only. No matter how you're going to coach me, I've got one topic I want to cover off. Can can I go self-employed? Can I set up my own business? That was the only topic um, because I wanted to really explore that I was full of fear and self-doubt and terror. In fact, I'd always had the comfort of, being in good jobs, um and and I, w- I went on a walk and talk, one of those walking and talking coaching experiences out in the fresh air, and my fellow trainee coach coached me, and she went on coach like for a moment. She shouted at me,
0: <laughs> and uh,
1: she was like, "Joe, you know you can do this. There's only one thing stopping you." And I was like, "What? What? What, what is it? I'll get hold of it." And she was like, "You. You're the." Th-. And I was like. And the penny just dropped it was like a penny had been stuck in my throat for years and years and it drops Thought it is I'm the person stop it it's not my husband it's not my friends it's not my fam it's me go make this happen Joe right and if I if others can do it so can I and that's kind of what and that's what I say in the book if others have done this so can you uh, because it's true
0: and do you think in an organizational context if you're a leader or a manager do you think there can be similar blockers that that stop them from doing what they know to be right, you know? So, so, so they bought into the idea of a coaching culture, you know, theoretically they go, yeah, this is a good thing, but they're not exhibiting that day to day for whatever reason. Typically why, What? why might that be from what you've seen?
1: I think there could be a number of things. One could be their own limiting beliefs, their own without, and, and we're talking unconscious beliefs here. So you know what i say isn't necessarily what i do because actually it's unconscious that i'm you know i'm driving my behaviors then it could be the environment people may be going to work every day and the the environment is so unhelpful or toxic that actually it's it's impacting their daily behavior so there could be other reasons there's so many reasons why people behave in certain ways But, you know, often people don't realise it's their thoughts and their feelings that are driving their behaviours. They think their behaviours are the behaviours and they're consciously, you know, making conscious actions when we know that that's, you know, a high percentage of our behaviours are linked to our subconscious beliefs. So it's actually trying to spend time uncovering those. And that's why we created Mindset at at Coaching Culture because not everybody does get access to a professional accredited coach Not everybody does get access to raising their own self-awareness and that I think is really important and really valuable um, for really people to unpick and unpack their own inner thoughts and beliefs and values um, to realise what's driving their behaviours and their actions and their attitudes at work. I think,
0: I think that's one of the single biggest things that holds people back from achieving the potential that they've got yeah. that, you know, they don't understand why they behave in the way they do. So if we operate on a premise that you know the majority of people are born with, with the same ability, obviously different, yeah. different environments yeah. that shape them. So they've got the ability to do the same things, but some people succeed and some people don't. How, how would I start unpacking myself and understanding what I'm good at, what I'm bad at, what might be holding me back, things that I perhaps, you know, I'm I'm unaware of that might be sending me down the wrong path. Where do I even begin with that?
1: Well, I think there's two obvious things for me is one, either get a coach to talk you through and give you that time and space to reflect because you know, some coaches, transformational coaches, will take you back to your childhood rather than just saying what do you want to what do you want to work on today let's really go back to understanding who you are what what things have impacted you on your life script you know back in those first 7 years of your life um or persuade your organization to work with coaching culture and get the mindset self coaching tool because that is a fabulous tool to start recognizing you know have I got some level of imposter syndrome? What is holding me back? Is it perfectionism? Is it, I'm just procrastinating too much, why? And, and the thing about things like mindset is it gets under the why, but it forces you to self-reflect. It forces you to think through, it asks you some powerful questions to think through and self-reflect. Um, so I think it's just taking the time and and it could be other solutions are, you know, meditation, starting to meditate, start journaling, you know start journaling what's going on in your thoughts and what's triggering those behaviors what was it so what could that what could have driven that and and you know I'm a big believer in meditation just stilling the mind and calming the mind to then speed up our our abilities and our superpowers really
0: do you follow a particular practice for meditation
1: no i have guided meditation in my ears so um i literally I often will do that at night to go to sleep. So I go to sleep with things in my ears to sort of. So it's usually guided meditation. I use the Calm app, which I absolutely love, and I also subscribe to Mind Valley, which is quite a business, entrepreneurial, mm-hmm. even spiritual practice. Um, and the the founder of Mind Valley is very um, very uh, a big believer in meditation and calming the mind um so that's where i would go and also i do things like yoga as well that also calms the mind and focuses on your inner self more uh, and these are all things that i've developed more as i've run my own business
0: i do think that that um, meditation is really important i'm not doing it regularly at the moment but when i was i think i was i was more than i am now so it's something that i'm keen to to start again and i've actually I'm thinking quite seriously about planning the whole year out and I'm trying to build winning habits back in again and I really think that's one of them
1: oh I think it's one of the core ones as well as things like obviously your exercise and and and, and eating well and all that great stuff um I also don't drink so I think that's that's important as well to have a clear mind and you know, it's so easy and I've, you know, I've been guilty of it it's so easy when times get tough to, you know, kind of hurtle a hundred miles an hour to the fridge to get the, uh, to get the white wine or whatever. When actually now I find the calmness can come from within, you know, and actually I think the coaching qualifications take me on a, taken me on a real journey of self-discovery and it, and it's taken me on to another level again right now, um, which is wonderful And, you know, I love exploring who I am now and who can I be. And I talk about that next chapter. But I think winning habits is really important. One thing that I found with the book, the book took, and I think it's just an excuse really, but the book took me a a lot of time. But I was doing it at five o'clock on a Saturday morning. That's when I was doing my writing, getting up, grab a coffee, off I go so it didn't massively impact my work through the week and it didn't massively impact my life at the weekend because i got up early to just bash out a few hours of writing here and there um, apart from on that i did do a week of intense in in march um, one of the months of writing but actually i stopped running outside as much so i love running and i've stopped because by the time i actually finished my writing It was then kind of, you know, well, it's family time. And I know it's an excuse, but I couldn't. I feel sometimes that I'm really good at focusing brilliantly on one thing. And, you know, so I'm not doing it. So I'm going to start again doing my running outside. I'm currently doing yoga in a good way. But actually, I need to start running. But at the minute, it's like (laughs) storm this, that and the other in the UK. So actually, if I go out running, I'll probably get blown over. But I'm going to start running again regularly because i do you know 10ks i've done a half marathon but my running suffered a little bit when i was writing the book it's an excuse i'm sure it is but it'll be good to get back
0: to that yeah definitely yeah
1: totally you know i'm not i'm not planning on writing another book anytime soon although people ask me as soon as this one was done when's the next one coming out i'm like wow the ink's not even dry let me let me enjoy this one for a while i may create a course on the back of the book I quite like the idea of that. So bring it to life in another way, a bit further. Um, but, yeah, running is definitely something that I do get quite addicted to in a, in a good way.
0: And do you listen to stuff when you're running or do you just go completely, you know, nothing, free mind?
1: No, no, I absolutely listen to stuff. And it depends what mood I'm in. Sometimes I listen to music and I like upbeat music. Sometimes I listen to podcasts. Sometimes I listen to books. Um, often, but I like books. Um but sometimes I'm in the mood for music, and I'll literally put my '80s hits on, and off I go. It gives me an extra spring in my step, and it means I can't hear myself puffing and panting. <laughs> I can't feel the pain.
0: I, I I tend to I go podcasts, but also storybooks. When I was doing a lot of Audible, my nice. sister always laughed at me because we we'd do a run, and she'd be like, "What what's the music to you know pump you up and make you go faster?" I go, nah, "That storybook." <laughs> it's quite good. Happy. It's
1: good. It's it's really good to listen to things and learn so I find I I like to listen to podcasts and books while I'm walking as well I do like that um I feel like I'm kind of doubling my time you know I'm getting exercise but I'm actually also learning as well on the go so yeah lots of good lots of good habits
0: I had a conversation with someone, uh, it was episode 15 of this podcast and he's a, a head distiller at a distillery on the Gold Coast and we talked about his transformation because he's running the business but also he was transforming himself, losing a lot of weight, becoming really fit, doing loads of races. And he said an amazing thing. He talked about scheduling his unproductive time for when he was productive so he would double up where he could. So if he was on the treadmill or he was doing something at the gym, that's when you might indulge in some of the less productive social media or or things like that.
1: Oh, that's so you good. go, yeah, I'm
0: productive when I'm unproductive.
1: Oh, I like that. That is good. So the social media trawling time. Although I find LinkedIn is, is I find LinkedIn productive time for me. Facebook. Well, Facebook, actually, I do get bombarded. I think this is part of my butterfly problem. I'm getting bombarded with adverts. It's obviously the algorithms listening to me at the minute and uh, and kind of feeding me loads of things to think about. So I'm like bombarded with messages. Um, but I do find LinkedIn, I, I find that productive time because I've met so, like yourself, I've met so many wonderful people through LinkedIn. I'm a huge, huge fan. It's gone a bit crackers like the new year um, with adverts and things but actually um you know i'm getting back to seeing the poster i love you know from and i've connected with so many wonderful people and you know become friends so there's something special about linkedin and i do believe i'm a firm believer in your vibe attracts your tribe and all that
0: yeah, I it I think it's a fantastic platform. If I got a dollar for every time I talked about it, I'd be very rich because, yeah. because it hasn't been corrupted like the other platforms. And some, you know, they're obviously trying different things with the algorithm yeah. and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not so good. But I've connected with so many people, really interesting people. And I'm trying to think... The algorithm, I think, threw you my way. I think, and I or someone had clicked like on something, and I just recorded a podcast with Cara Bradley, who was talking about yeah. menopause coaching, and and then you'd posted something about it at the same time and and I thought right well you sound like you're really interested so I re- reached out to you, you and did. said hey here's something you might be interested in and yeah. then and then because of that I then became aware of your work in the book you know so oh, somehow yeah. without that clash we wouldn't be having that conversation.
1: Absolutely and that's why I love LinkedIn you know I've had messages from people all around the world since the book's gone out you know people I just did not you know I would never have known I, you know I would never have known and And that makes me feel that gives me a warm fuzzy glow, really, in terms of you do attract the people that, you know, you want to attract. And, you know, and I think the people who don't like you, you know, that's fine. They've got other interests. You can't be liked by everybody. And and that's fine, too. So, yeah, I love LinkedIn for that. I've met some fantastic people. I had a book launch in December in Manchester and I had a lot of people there who I've met through LinkedIn. And they all came up to celebrate and support me, which was which was fabulous. You know, it was it was true friendship, true community, true support. I yeah feel very very privileged. But I think you've got to put your effort in as well. You've got to you've got to give to, to be able to then get back from LinkedIn for sure. Which is which is life, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and it's just like building a community. So um, without giving all the secrets of the book away, hopefully this has excited many people to pick it up. You know, I'm certainly really excited to get into it in depth. What should we expect from the book? So, if I, you know, pick it up now in, and order it online and get the hard copy, or perhaps wait for the, you know, the beautifully narrated audible version when it comes out, what should I expect from it?
1: I think you should expect um, a book of, you know, hope and inspiration and a practical tools and guidelines on how to go about building a coaching culture. And I think you should expect to build confidence your own confidence on the back of it that you can make a difference, whether that's culture, you know, in your function, in your team, in your whole organisation, I think it should give you confidence. And I think you'll get, you know, I call it the toe curling stories and the heartwarming case studies. The book's meant to make you grimace and and smile in equal measures. Grimace, in fact, the fact that actually there is some shit practices going on out there and the stories in there, you know, some of them are me being a shit manager You know, and some of them are my managers have been, you know, not great. So there's some funny, you know, and some of them are funny stories when you look back. They're not funny at the time, but they're funny when you look back. And then there's some fabulous case studies, fabulous case studies of organizations that are on that journey and are starting to make a difference. So, you know, it's proof that it can be done so you can do it, too. So, yeah, that's what you can get. Oh, and you get a free workbook as well to download, which is taking you through all the exercises of the book. And
0: and I was looking at that workbook and I was thinking about how at a macro level, an organization might might go forward with that, you know, across, let's say, 500 people or something like that. There'll be individuals that buy the book and there might be a leader of a team of 10, team of 20, maybe yeah. a team of 50. So they might not have the influence at this point in time because maybe the organization isn't yeah. awake or isn't ready to to yeah, yeah. to roll it out, but they want their team to benefit from it what would be the best way for someone managing a team of 10, 20, 50 to take what they've learned from this book and make a difference to their team? You know, is it buying everyone a copy? Is it, you know, starting to implement the exercises? Can you go through the workbook at, at a team level, even if the rest of the organization's doing their own thing?
1: You absolutely can. And and obviously if anybody wanted to bulk order, then it's always uh, maybe easier for, for me to get it organized straight from the publisher really Um, so absolutely get hold of the book work through it read through it and work through as teams you're going to need human interaction to help guide and facilitate you might bring somebody externally and tell you do that you might use your own internal teams to do it you might be capable yourself of doing it but I think it's all there to help you Um, I think it's all there to have a go Genuinely, there's there's examples in there. There's questions in there that you can ask. There's so much in there. You know, there's a, even down to a coaching capability assessments. You know, people talk about learning needs analysis. Well, what's the coaching needs analysis? What's capability analysis in the business? Focus on coaching. And actually, I think the rest will follow. So for me, yeah, go and buy loads of books happily and download the workbook and work through it. Um, And you can either do that yourself or bring somebody external in. I think um, it's really interesting. I hear a lot of people talk about culture. Um, And for me, they get frightened by the C word being coaching. And actually, for me, it's when I talk about coaching, I think of so many C words. I think of creativity, collaboration, communication, conversation, curiosity, challenge. So many. Coaching underpins all of that. Actually, have better conversations, and you don't need to be professionally accredited to have a good quality conversation in your organization. Have a better one intentionally and consistently, and watch the results happen.
0: Brilliant! Good place to end. Is there anything I haven't asked that I should have done?
1: Oh crikey! No, I think you've covered you've covered such a lot in uh, in this time together, Alistair. I, I feel uh, I feel we've covered a lot of ground and you know we've got probably got the message out there loud and clear that you know this stuff really matters
0: brilliant really appreciate your time
1: thank you Alistair. i've really enjoyed it